Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you're going to reveal to us today. Allow us to be hearers and doers of your word. God, thank you so much for moments like this where we get the opportunity to accept your invitation to participate in what you are doing. I thank you so much for this word. I thank you so much for the spirit behind this word. And I thank you for your finished work in each and every one of us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I am going to be sharing with you from 1 Samuel chapter 16 today, um, and it's so important for us to be able to uh, look at that text in a particular way. Does everybody have a sermon map? Sermon map? Everybody? Uh, Chris, can I have that one there, please? I want to make sure I have the right. Is there one? Let me get one, please. Thank you so much. We do this because we want to encourage you that if you come in and don't have a Bible to have this open and reading along and there's a place in the back to put down notes. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to bring your Bible, um, to bring a Bible, to be ready to study it with us as we go through it so that you can also grow in your walk with God. Amen? Before I give you uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want to give you a backstory to it because everything has a backstory. God, <clears throat> God in the eternity of eternity in heavens uh, started something. Um, nothing takes God by surprise. So just because you sinned yesterday, don't think that God is scratching his head thinking, oh my God, he did it again. Okay? God knows where we are. We have to be willing to accept what God has laid down in his word for our lives, right? And, and the realization is that for me personally, 33 years ago, I just needed help. I got to a place in my life, you know, where I have run out of tricks. <laughs> you know, I have run out of, you know, things to try to do to try to fix my problem. My problem was not a physical problem. My problem was a spiritual problem. And you cannot fix a spiritual problem with physical things. Amen? So the backstory here is pretty simple. Uh, it's laid out for us. And I just want to let you know that in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, you're going to see a story of Samuel. And I always say when you're studying the word, it, try to insert yourself in it, but also try to find out who are the characters in this. And it's named Samuel because Samuel is the main character here outside of God, right, orchestrating the whole thing. Samuel is the one he's using in this time. But, but God has, uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, has started this great narrative of what he is doing and what he has done and what he'll continue to do until the culmination of what he said he would do. And the culmination of it is the return of Christ. Does everybody understand that? Right? The Bible speaks about this return, the second advent of Christ, in which he'll return to do what? Right? To take up his church. And the church are his people, those who have endured, those who persevered, those who stayed a course. God has promised us that he's going to take us to this new place. In fact, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can also be, right? It talks about mansions. and Everybody say, yeah, I'm going to get a mansion. No, it's just the space that's available. You're not going to get a physical address. So, so God starts this movement across the thing. And in Samuel, we see this amazing thing that he begins to do because what he's done from Genesis, he introduces himself to Abram. 
And he introduces himself to Abram, who later becomes Abraham, because that's what God does, doesn't he? Like he changes our name. Whatever we used to be, right? If we stole, he says, steal no more, so they don't call you a thief, right? If you lied, lie no more. So there's a change that happens. You see it in the Bible where he goes from being Abram to being Abraham, but he calls Abram out of the earth Chaldeans, which happens to be a very pagan society. Abram is an idol worshiper. I love this story. I love the story of the Bible. You know why? Because it gives me hope to know that a messed up dude like me, when I say yes to Jesus, he fixes me up. It gives me hope when I look at the story of Rahab and Peter, Peter who had a big mouth, and every time Jesus says something, he says something different. And if I'm Jesus, I'm like, Joe, shut up, bro. Like, let me finish my story before you jump in telling me what you're going to do. So, so it's powerful to see him choose Abram to be able to do what he's going to do. This is not just a story here. The story is that God uses a barren womb. I'm going to say that again. A barren womb to bring forth the promise that he makes. Why is that so significant in our lives? Because God takes the impossible. Come on now. He, 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 he takes the impossible and makes it possible. No one ever thought you would get clean. Come on now. Not, not even you. Not even you thought you would get clean. 15 rehabs, 20 detoxes, 10 institutions. Later and here you are. Why? Because it's God's plan, God's choice. That's the way it is. So he uses the barren woman. You know the story, Sarah, she giggles and says, I don't know how he's going to do this. Nothing's working down here. <laughs> nothing. Everything is dried up. Ain't nothing working down there. And, and, and God reminds us, listen, it's not what you see. It's what I see. It's not what you do. It's what I've done. So, so we have to be mindful of dynamic here that God has this narrative in which he started something and he's working it out. He's moving along. Why? Because it's his plan, his choice. If I had my brothers, I would not choose some ruddy little kid to be king. Like if I'm going to play football, right? You ever play like you choose teams, right? And you're going to play a game where it's physical. You look at the big guys. I got that guy. I got that guy. I got that guy. You don't pick the little guy to play. In fact, if you play baseball, you stick them in right field because nobody hits the ball in right field. But guess what? God doesn't see like I see. God doesn't look at things the way I look at them. Those bills that are before you, nothing to God. Your physical ailments, nothing to God. Your current situation and your relationships, hey man, just trust God. You've trusted yourself so long. Listen to me. Your picker is off. You say, what is that? <laughs> You're picking the wrong dudes, man. <laughs> you, you, you know, and, and then you want to make them your projects. Ladies, if he's a bum now, he's going to be a bum later. <laughs> like, y'all need to figure that out quick. And vice versa. Listen, if she's twitching as she has dinner with you... <laughs> You have to get a list of the medications before you dive into that relationship. 
We have to be mindful that life now, when you come to Christ, doesn't belong to you. So the plans you have, the desires you have, all that stuff, the Bible clearly states, if you delight in me, I will give you the desires of your heart. If you seek me, you will find me. If you wait on me, I will, on your behalf, make a way where there seems to be no way. In this story, this is a very profound story because what happens here, God now is correcting something that he needs to correct. And I want you to be seated because it's a long read, but just let me read it and let it wash over you as a story that you're listening to for the first time. You have it in front of you, so you can just follow along if you need to. And it reads like this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Some backdrop here really quick, okay? A couple of things. One is, as God is moving his people from Genesis into the promised land, into the next level, one thing he tells them is, don't look to the left or to the right. Keep your eyes on me. Everybody got that? Right? I, I want you personally to do me a favor and keep the focus on yourself. Right? Sometimes as believers, and I've struggled with this in the past, is I'm, I'm doing the right thing, God, but I'm looking at my neighbor, and this guy's wicked as hell. <laughs> like, he plays his music loud at 2 in the morning, <laughs> like, you know, like, and he's prospering. He's got a better car than I do. You know, he's got better things than I do. And sometimes we get caught up with seeing what others are doing rather than the focus of ourselves. So with the people of Israel that he's going to make a nation of and introduce himself to them, they're doing the same thing, right? Like he's telling them, look, whatever you're doing, as we're moving into this promised land, keep your eyes on me. Don't look to the left or to the right. Don't get caught up with what everybody else is doing. I am your provider. I am what is sufficient. This is all you need is me. But of course, what do they do? They start looking to the left and the right. They start seeing things. They start involving themselves. They enter into this thing we call idolatry, which is worshiping something other than God, like a God. It could be the person right next to you. It could be the person you love. It could be your children. It could be your job. Whatever it is, you're putting those things before God, and God is saying, before those things were, I was. And because I have been before these things, and I provided these things for you, your possession should not possess you. If anyone should possess you, it's me. So, so he goes through this thing, and what happens is they get caught up and they say, listen, uh, Samuel, we have watched you and we've honored you, but we know now that who's going to take care of us after you're gone? If you read the story chapter 8, it talks about Samuel's sons who he now appoints as judges over the people, but they're corrupt. They take bribes. They're doing horrible things. And the people look at that and say, yo, we can't trust your kids to lead us. When you're gone, we want a king. That's what we want. We see our neighbors, they have kings that protect them. We want a king. So they argue with Samuel and say, listen, we want a king. Get us a king. And Samuel is sad because we realize that what they're doing is rejecting the sovereignty of God. So he goes to God, and he goes to them sad, and God tells him, Samuel, listen, don't, don't be sad. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Right? And, and you have to be mindful also as you go out and minister into the world. A lot of us don't do it because we're concerned about people when they think about us. So we don't say anything. And it's not about you. It's about the message getting out. And how will the message get out if you don't share it with someone? 
But you're concerned about your insecurity, so I'm not going to say anything because they're going to call me this, they're going to call me that. Listen, they didn't call you what they want. They used to call you worse before. You weren't concerned about it then. If you're aligned with Christ, that's a good thing. So now they want this king, and God says, okay, listen, I'm going to give them what they want. Now, be careful what you ask for. Okay? Like some of us in this room are single, and we want a wife, we want a husband, and then three weeks later, we're like, oh, God, get me out of this. Right? Be careful what you ask for. Oh, I want the promotion at work. With great promotion comes great responsibility. So prior to that promotion, you took 20 breaks and were off two days a week because you decided to call in sick. Once you get that promotion, you can't do that. Everybody, you following me? Right? So be careful what you ask for. They ask for a king. He says, go back to them and tell them what the king is going to do. He gives them a whole list of things. The king's going to take your daughters. Going to take your sons. Going to tax you 10% of everything you own. Like he goes through this whole list. Sounds like our government, right? <laughs> so, so, so he lists this whole thing. He says, this is what's going to happen when you want a king. And he goes and tells the people. The people says, we don't care. We still want a king. And God says, go ahead, give him a king, Samuel. And what Samuel does, Samuel picks a king. But he picks a king based on the king's appearance. How he looks. He's taller than everybody else. He's stronger than everybody else. He's definitely a warrior. This is the guy that's going to lead us, and he puts them in place. Now, we all learned here that appearances could be deceiving. Is that right? Sometimes on the outside, we appear to be one way, but on the inside, we're rotten as hell. And I want us to be mindful of that, that you clean up yourself on Sundays and you look great, but then Monday comes around and you're back to being yourself. So your Sunday wear becomes a costume rather than who you're supposed to be. So he gives him a king. But along the way, Saul's heart is revealed and Saul begins to do some things that make him not a good king. In fact, not a king that honors God, but a king that honors himself. Samuel cries about this, and he's upset because now he sees the demise of this guy that he picked, this guy he invested in. He sees him falling away, and he's like, oh, man, like, like, I don't know what to do. And that's where we enter in here where he says, God has a conversation with Samuel and says, how long will you mourn for Saul? I've rejected him. He's no longer going to be king. Stop whining about that. Listen to me. Stop crying over spilled milk is what he's saying. Stop crying about yesterday. Stop crying about the past. Stop crying about what didn't happen and be aware of what God can do for you and through you today. Like, like in my own, like when I sit down, or when I used to lay down on my therapist's couch and he charged me $75, he would ask me, how was your childhood? Right? Because they connect everything to traumas that you've experienced. Were you breastfed? Were you potty trained? Did your dad spend time with you? And I'm like sitting there saying, okay, this is not helping me. This is what he's doing here. Because he's done something with these people and he's loved on them. He goes on and says, and Samuel, then he tells Samuel, I need you to go to the house of Jesse. It says here. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. So again, you know, you're going to go anoint another king and I'm still here and you're going to do that, then of course it's going to be a problem. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one 
I name to you. So who is he leaving the picking of a king to? Is it Samuel or is God going to pick him? Yeah, God's picking him this time. Samuel, I gave you a chance and you didn't, didn't do a good job here. But God allowed that because the people had to experience what they were asking for. They were asking for a king, gave them a king, and this guy then faltered as a king. And now God is stepping in and saying, okay, so Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming. If you read this, you kind of think, okay, why are they trembling? Normally when a prophet of God, I'm going to say this again, when a prophet of God, not a false prophet, because a false prophet looks to appeal to the people and get them to like him so that he can hang out with them. The prophet of God comes in and says, repent, right? For the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Like he, he literally lays it out. And a lot of times when people saw these prophets coming, the first thing they would say is like, are you for us or are you against us? So that's where you see this term, they trembled. And then it says, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. That word sanctify just simply means separate yourself. And come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse. He set them apart and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came. Now, what's about to happen is that Jesse has a certain amount of sons. And each one of them is going to come before Samuel, and Samuel's going to size them up to see if this is the next king. Now, you remember what Samuel did last time. He picked based on what? Appearance. Okay, great, great. So he says this. He says, okay, so he brings them, and then he brings this young man by the name of Eliab, and Samuel says this, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Why? Because his appearance and his physical stature Samuel's making the same mistake. Samuel's picking based on appearance. So, so you have to be mindful, right, that God doesn't work based on appearance. If that was the case, I'd be at the back of the line. Like, honestly. And it's what God doesn't do that, that God takes those things that have been rejected by the world and then cleans them up and uses them for his glory. Why? Because it's not me, it's him working through me. See, it gets to a point in your life where you have to surrender to realize, I can't do this. I've tried. Like, I've tried being a good husband. I can't. I have to be a biblical husband. I can't. I've tried being a good father. I have to be a biblical father. Right? Like, I have to be able, I've tried to be a good friend, right? And, 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 and we have to be biblical friends. Why? When we see our friends going in the wrong way, what do we do? Like, like, like friends don't let friends drive drunk. That's the commercial, isn't it? But if you see your friend about to ruin their lives and you're like, hey, hey, have a good time. I'll see you at Christmas. You're not being a good friend. So I want to be a biblical friend. A biblical friend sees a friend acting in a particular way and approaches them and say, I love you. You don't got to do this no more. Can I help? And then when I say help, I don't do it from a distance. I come alongside you and walk with you. That's a friend. A friend makes you better. I teach high school all the time. And kids say, oh, that's my friend. I said, your friend just threw you under the bus. Your friend just told me that you didn't do your homework. <laughs> like, friends make friends better. That's, that's what it is. Friends make friends better. I got to check my son all the time. He says, Yo, I'm going to go hang out with friends. I said, friends? Do I know them? He says, not that. You don't know them. They're not your friends. If I don't know them, they're not your friends. <laughs> 
They could be an associate. They could be something else, but they're not your friends. If dad doesn't know them, they're not your friends. What am I getting at? There's a biblical way for us to act in every single role that we have. And if you don't know it, you're going based on what you think you know, and that's going to cause you more trauma, more pain than ever before because you are limited. We are finite human beings. We don't know it all. But God allows us, when we go biblically, to begin to see, okay, how do I measure a friend? How do I act this way? How do I act that way? Why? Because God shows us. He says this, by their fruit, they shall be known. Translated by their actions, by their words, by their deeds, they're going to be known. And then you can decide if that's a friend or not. I got other people who say, I got 3,000 friends. I say, yeah, I got 3,000 friends? Where? They live on Facebook. Some of us laugh, but we need, we need to really realize that those are not friends. Okay, so he goes on and says, okay, so what happens? Samuel looks at this guy, he says, truly this is the guy, the Lord does this. He whispers in his ear, he says, yeah, that's not him. Why? He says, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah, I'm going to say that again. It's worth repeating. He said to him, that's not him. I refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen. Now, I'll pause for a moment to say because in my own life I've experienced some beautiful people who are just horrible. And I mean beautiful. Physically, amazing. I mean, it's like God sculpted this person you know, out of granite and stuff like that. But when you look further, you realize that these people are not genuine. They're not honest. They're not authentic. They're not willing to roll up their sleeves and serve one another. Nobody here, so it's okay for us to have this conversation. Right? But I think about that in my own life and constantly look at myself through God's word and, and using that as how I measure myself these days. So I don't need you to judge me or measure me. I look at the word and I say, hey man, am I living this out? And then I go to the people I love, right? Like I go to my wife um, and I say, hey honey, and you know, she'll, she'll stop and pull out the scroll and let me know that I'm not, right? But in a loving, caring way, just to remind me that there is this thing that God has left for us to look at us. So I don't have to ask people how I'm doing I have to go to the word and see what the word says. Am I being honest with myself, others, and God? Right? Am, am I doing that? Is, is my daily devotional something that I do with great joy and anticipation as I spend time in God's word in prayer and meditation? Is that a, an integral part of my life? See, so, so there are things that God has left to measure up. So he uses this moment and he says, listen, I'm not looking on the outside. I'm looking at your heart. Guys, and that's where the Bible comes in and teaches us about the conditions of our heart. You know, the, the Bible first says that, you know, our hearts are wicked. If you start out in the Old Testament, it works that our hearts can be trusted. Why it can be trusted? Because the heart is very emotional. Right? How many times have your emotions gotten you in trouble? Yeah. Right? You get angry, you get sad. 
oh, but I love him, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? Like, like your emotions, right? There's, there's no filter. Even your friends, right? Like, like, you know what kills friendships a lot of times? The minute you start dating. Ah, you didn't know that, did you? Because guess what? You can't be hanging out with your boys no more. Now you've got to hang out with your girl. And what are your boys saying about you? Right? No, you ain't loyal. Now you don't understand. It's a different relationship. Right? It's a different relationship I've got to give myself to now. So, so he goes into this and he says, okay, what's going on in your heart? Today I'm saying what's going on in your heart? Because if your heart is wicked, then how do you check your heart? First and foremost, the Bible says that we need a new heart. God promises to give us a new heart. And the only way that happens is through this born-again experience where we accept Christ, relinquish control of our lives, and say, okay, God, whatever you want me to do. And God now shines a light into my heart and shows how evil my heart is. He begins to reveal these feelings about why do you get angry? We know that anger is a secondary emotion. Why do you get angry? Like you have to answer that question. And most likely it's an unresolved issue in your life that you're still holding on to. Like you cannot go back and sit on daddy's lap. You can't. You can't go back and say, mommy, why did you treat me this way? God brings you into the fold so now in community you can address those things and grow despite those things. Like if I pass the mic in this room, we have some horrible growing up experiences. But the fact that I'm still here means there's still an opportunity for me to resolve those things and close. Listen, my dad can't pay me back for what he did. So I got to close the book on his account and forgive him. Now, you're not listening. You're not listening. I just lost all of you. Come back. If you don't forgive the hurts of your past, they will control you today. And they will carry over into other relationships. How many of us have been hurt in love and therefore, I'm never going to fall in love again? Never. That's the beauty of love. The, the pain that comes with it. Anybody remember when they had this crazy puppy love at 13? <laughs> I'm sorry if you didn't. It's, it's the greatest thing ever, <laughs> right? All of a sudden, your mother's looking at you and you're combing your hair more, you're, you're bathing more, in my case, right? I'm, I'm reaching for dad's old spice, you know, like, like I'm, I'm cleaning my act up, right? At 13, and you're, you know, you're, you're passing notes to each other, you know, do you love me, check the box, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> Nobody ever did that? Ah, oh, shame on you guys, <laughs> right? But it's the issues of the heart that we have to address. And God sees our hearts, and he says, I want to give you a new heart. But the only way that I can give you a new heart is that you allow me into your heart. Because then he goes on to say even further in the New Testament, he says that the issues from our lives flow from our heart, right? So, so he's touching upon this heart thing because what he is about to do is he's going to select a king, not based on his physical stature or his appearance. He's going to base his selection on the heart of this young man. So what happens in the story? He continues to bring his sons before him. Jesse calls Abinadab and he passes by and Samuel wakes and God says, nope, that's not the guy. Then he passes by Shama. The same thing, God says, nope, that's not the guy. Jesse passes his seven sons before Samuel and he must be exhausted at this time and it says, God, there's nobody here. 
But then he asked this question, are all the young men here, he asked Jesse. And then Jesse says this, yeah, I got another son. He's out there with the sheep. This kid is out there. He, I don't know. I don't know what's he on. I don't know what drug he's doing. But all he does is play his harp and frolic through the field, talking to the sheep. Like, I, yeah, I got one. I got one of those. He's out there. I, I, I you, know what, you know what Samuel says? He says this. He says, send and bring him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. In other words, nobody's eating until this boy comes here. Amen. Like, listen to this. Even in Jesse's tone, and I'm playing with paraphrasing and, and tone here, but the fact that he says, oh, I got another one, right? It's almost as if this, 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 this child is on the outs. This, this child is not really part of this. Like if I stood all my kicks together, he would not stand out. He, he'll be the shortest one. He'll be the smallest one. Of course, he's the youngest one, but it's almost like, man, we're not banking on this kid too much. But it's God's plan and it's God's choice. It's not up to Jesse. It's not up to Samuel anymore. It's up to God. So he goes and says, okay, bring this kid over here. And it says, now he was ruddy and bright eyes. I don't know in your version, but the word ruddy actually means like you have some color in your cheeks, right? Like you have people who are really pale and then you have people who have this little color in their cheeks so they're vibrant and alive. It could be because he's out in the sun. It could be because he's running around. He's always with, like, like, like I think that this young man had this fulfilled life in which he was free to be used by God. So he goes on, he says, he, you know, he's got bright eyes and he's good looking. And then the Lord said to Samuel, arise and anoint him for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. He had completed what God had asked him to do. Quickly. He picks the least of these. I'll say that again because I need to give you hope. He picks the least of these. Jesus came to seek and find that which was lost. He came to heal those who were sick, not so much physically, although he did that. But we see in many instances in which he speaks to people who want something as far as physical and then he addresses the spiritual part of their lives. David, we know who he is based on this story. At 15, commentaries say 15 to 19, he became the anointed one of God. He didn't step into his kingship until 10 years later. Why? Because it's God's plan, it's God's choice. It happens when he says so, not when you want it to happen. Now, I'm going to say that again because I've shared with you earlier. I've tried to manipulate my care, right? I wanted to go home, and God says, no, you can't go home yet. You have to be still, right? So you have to be mindful that what God is doing here, he sheds some light on several things throughout this talk. One is how God takes the impossible and makes it possible. 
And maybe you're confronting some things in your life which seem impossible. Maybe some of you are going back to school. Maybe some of you are still looking for work. Maybe some of you are, are, are dealing with some relationships that are very tension-wise for you. And, and God is saying, listen, if you trust me, I'm going to take what seems to be impossible and make it possible. Also, be aware that if God says no, it means no. And for some of us, it may mean not yet, that you're not ready. And you might exhaust yourself crying out to God and praying and saying, God, I want this. God, I need this. God, what about this? God, you know my struggles. As if God doesn't know, he knows, but he's telling you, be still and let me work it out. This area of instant gratification and impulsivity has caused us so much pain and harm, at least for me it has. I don't want to keep traveling that same road, right? That's insanity, doing the same thing, expecting different results. We know that, but yet we practice it every single day. We want to trust God. So in this particular area, God now is taking Samuel through this journey and saying, this is my new king. Saul doesn't know it yet, but this is my new king. Because God does what? He doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at your heart. So the condition of your heart is a big deal, and the condition of your heart doesn't change until we begin to allow it to embrace new ways and new information that you didn't have before. This whole thing about love scares me because I grew up believing that if you love someone, you got something from them. Like there was this exchange. So when I come into the church and they say, no, you have to love unconditionally. You can't expect anything back. And I'm saying, whoa, whoa. I'm putting myself out there. I need to be loved too. And God is reminding, I love you enough. I love you enough that you don't necessarily need to seek out that kind of love. You have to understand that this love that God gives us, it surpasses anything that you can experience from anybody else. And I know you're thinking, man, but I'm lonely, I'm alone. I say, yeah, I hear you, but listen to me. You can go down that road and try to find love that way. Or you can wait on God to bring love to you. This is my prayer for my girl. I have a, a young daughter, and, and, and we sit down and have these conversations all the time, and I remind her that I'm praying for her husband, and he's got to know the whole Bible forward and backwards. And, you know, like, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's extreme. It's extreme, I know. But, but I've been praying, I've been praying that, and, and my prayer is that he will love God, that he will love God first. Because when you love God first, there, there is this, this way that you learn how to love. That's the power of it. That's, that's the power of this. So, 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 so he begins to do this, he begins to make this move, and, and, and I just want to take you to the next part of the scriptures, and it's not on the screen, but Saul, remember it says that God places his spirit upon David. Now, that's a big deal as you study in the Bible because we have the Holy Spirit now because of Christ. But back then, God's spirit came upon people to do mighty feats. One example is Samson. The spirit of God came upon Samson. This guy was stronger than anybody, right? The minute God lifted the spirit from him, they gouged his eyes out and made him a slave. The same thing happened with Saul. Saul had the spirit upon him as long as he was doing what God wanted him to do. The minute he didn't do what God wanted him to do, God lifted his spirit and put it upon David. Now, now Saul is troubled 
They say that he gets these, uh, these moments of frustration and anger and agitation. He can't sleep at night, so he's troubled. And somebody comes to him and says, we need to find someone that will soothe him by the playing of a harp. Now, you didn't get that part. David, that's all he does. He plays a harp to an audience of sheep. And the sheep are, meh, meh. <laughs> They're just so quiet. They follow him around. He's like strumming, the Lord is my shepherd. Like, like this is what he's doing. God's plan, God's choice. Guess what? He takes him out of the shepherd's field. He brings him into the palace with Saul. And now he's soothing the king. What is God doing? Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. He's working. This is his plan all along. He brings, remember, like David doesn't, uh, as you make your guys, guys make your move here, we're going to finish up, we're going to close up. Listen to me. So, so, so as you see this happening, all I want you to see and hear me, guys, is that first and foremost, there is this God who is at work, and he is inviting you to participate in this work. Amen. You get a wedding invitation. It says RSVP. What does that mean? It means you're coming or you're not coming. Right? That's what it means. I never answer them. I just show up because I'm a pastor, so I got it like that. Right? And most of the time, I'm presiding over the wedding anyway. But, but, but the point is that you have an opportunity when that invitation is sent to you to accept it or not accept it. And all of us, listen to me, God is inviting you to participate in this community, to participate in this great thing that he is doing across the globe. Like, like God is on the move. He's been on the move since the very beginning. And he's saying, listen, come with me. And some of us are not focused enough to realize that there is nothing else in the world that will fulfill you like having and living a life that God has planned for you. Amen. God doesn't want to harm you. He doesn't want to hurt you. According to Jeremiah, he wants to give you a future and a hope. Like he, he wants to have your life be as fulfilling as possible. Now, there are things that I want and there are things that I need. And that's a simple economic class. What are the things you need? Well, I've concluded that I need more of him and less of myself. See, I know the, the wreckage of my past. I know what I'm capable of doing when I'm left to my own devices. So the Bible speaks about submitting and surrendering. That doesn't happen when you're kicking and screaming because you want your way. God chose a king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And his name is Jesus. Amen. His name is Jesus. 
I got this, in the midst of all this bowing that's going on, I got this great t-shirt that says, I only bow down to one king, and his name is Jesus. And, and I just want us to be mindful of this, right? Because in, in, as, as I shared this story with you, as you read it, you don't see what God is doing. But when we put it together like this, we say, oh, wait a minute. This is what God is doing. Everybody today knows who David is. Most of you relate David to slaying a giant. But he was the greatest king that Israel ever had. Greatest. And he started out as this ruddy little boy playing a harp in a field to a bunch of sheep. Not even being considered for that role by man. But God's plan, God's choice. God doesn't look at your appearance. He looks at your heart. So if anything we need to work on is not our outside, it's our heart. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you once again for allowing us to come together in this way. I thank you for your word. I pray that it goes out and falls on good ground and bears seed a hundredfold, reminding us, oh God, that you take the impossible and make it possible. Thanking you, God, that you don't see on the outside. You look deep into our hearts and begin this work of renewing and transforming and sanctifying our lives in such a way, Lord, that we give you glory and honor as we work and participate in what you're doing. Thank you so much. Help us to be sensitive to the needs around us. And if you allow us to see it, remind us that we need to act upon it. I pray that you provoke every single person in this room, Lord, to serve in this community, to serve in the places that they are. I love you, Lord, for no other reason except you love me first. And I thank you for moments like this where we get to celebrate you through our praise and our worship and our participation in moments like this. I pray this in Jesus' name.